Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Farming for Passive Income show, where we strive to educate the agricultural community on hands-off commercial real estate investing, growing their business, and wealth strategies. Today, we have Mr. Mike Downey to the show. Um, Mike is the first farmer on the show and also first farmer and commercial real estate investor. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Casey. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Your bio is very interesting to me. Um, it's, it speaks to my heart a little bit, and I would love it if you could give the audience a little bit of flavor on your background and how you started in farming and then went into commercial real estate. Yeah, you bet. Well, I, I guess, to be honest with you, I still maybe consider ourselves more uh, wannabe farmers, but you know, I grew up on a family farm. And I can still remember very vividly back in the late 90s, 2000, when, when I was uh, uh, graduating college, the price of corn was about $1.80. And I think soybeans were in the $5 range. And, you know, so the, the opportunity for me to go back to my family farm wasn't very strong. It was already supporting two families at that point. And uh, so anyway, I, mm -hmm. I entered the ag industry more in a professional role, working with farmers and last uh, landowners over the last 20 years, you know, consulting with them on farm management and some leasing strategies. And um, then my career has taken a change. I know which we'll get into today, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, fast forward today, uh, my family and I do own and operate a small farm now here in Eastern Iowa. And we work with my wife's family okay. farm back and forth. And cool. uh, that's, that's our whole vision. And, um, you know, passion, I guess, is to, you know, could we uh, create our own family farm? And, um, but, you know, as we get into today, um, the things that we've been afforded, a lot of that is because some investing we've been doing passively through commercial real estate. Yeah, th that's great. And how many, or I guess I should say, how many crops have you grown on your family farm? And then um, since 2000 as well? So the, so we uh, we purchased 100 acres just a couple years ago. So uh, actually here this fall will be our our second crop that, you know, my family personally. Um, but yeah, my okay. family farm, uh, uh, boy, you know, my my grandfather came back from World War II to, you know, basically started our family farm from scratch. And, uh, you know, just thinking about doing that today is pretty daunting, you know, with the, the capital required to get into farming and purchase the, the equipment you need and everything like that. But, uh, you know, the other thing is we are in the process now of actually purchasing part of my Downey family farm, which is actually over on the other side of the, the state. But it's uh, the interesting about that this year, 2022 is the 150th year that it was homesteaded. Uh, and, you know, I would be fifth generation. So the, the heritage and the legacy part of it is really important to me. That's very cool. 150 years. That's nothing to scoff at. Yeah, no, no. Like, yeah, just think about what farming was back then in the late 1800s versus today. Yeah, just a little different. You know, I think we have GPS nowadays and then they were um, trying to plow with horses. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, no. Well, that's a, that's a cool journey, Mike. And so you, in 2000, you made the pivot into more of a leasing role in the farm transition specialist and helping other farms and then also diving into commercial real estate. Can you just talk us through some of those decisions, kind of what you helped farmers with at the time and then into your investing journey? 
Sure. Yeah. So my first job out of college was actually with a farm management company, which led me here to Eastern Iowa, where I'm still at today. And I thought if I couldn't farm myself or be part of the family farm back home, maybe working in the farm management field would be the next best thing. And that was, uh, I worked there for a number of years as a W-2, really enjoyed it, working with landowners, farmers, you know, primary client was landowners. Some of those were out of state or investors, you know, helping them manage their farmland and working with the tenants. But along the way, I took more of an interest in, I would say more succession planning and working with family farms. And I met an individual here in Eastern Iowa that uh, has a company that he started back in the nineties and does that. And uh, so I, uh, you know, back in 2018, took the leap of faith and left the W-2 and uh, basically created my own business, you know, and working with him and doing that and specialize in working with family farms on their transition planning. But really what allowed me to give me some courage to do that is back in the late 2000s, I started investing in like apartments and self-storage facilities passively. And, you know, back then what led me to do that is I was I had this little slush account over to the side where I was trying to save up money to buy my own farm. You know, that was my dream. But I was just realizing that it just doesn't make sense. You know, this money sitting in this account, it's really not doing anything. And, you know, started uh, reading some books on real estate and things like that. You know, a lot of people have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that's uh, certainly uh, at that point in time, I had read that and started uh figuring out ways to get my money more working better for me. So uh, just a barrier of entry to get into commercial real estate is a lot easier than farmland where, you know, to buy a farm and to have it float on its own, you almost need to have half of it need to come to the table with almost half as cash as down payment just to have it break even. Whereas with commercial real estate, I had bought a couple properties with as little as five to 10% down working with the sellers. And then, Mm -hmm. I was getting, you know, 40 to 50% cash returns on my down payment. Um, so it was just, uh, for me, just a lot easier way to get into the real estate. Yeah. Solid, solid ROI. But I love yeah. about that story is you saw a barrier, you got educated, and then you look for different investment vehicles to get the financial security that you and your family and needed at the time. Right. Well, yeah. And so what, what led me to that is, you know, trying to get my, you know, equity to eventually roll into farmland. But then along the way, I realized as I started reading and self-educating more that, you know, maybe my W-2, what I felt was a nice secure job with retirement and benefits was, you know, maybe that was not as secure as I think, you know, what if I were to, something were to happen to me, you know, health-wise or I lost a job or something happened to the company, um, you know, how long could I really make it, you know, with, without that W2. And that was really kind of a, a point in time where the passive income became more than just long-term buying farmland. It became more of a supporting us, you know, our family living needs. And then next thing I knew it led to me leaving the W2 to start my own company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's great, Mike. When you made the pivot mentally to change that strategy, what asset classes were you interested in? As far as the pivot from uh, uh, leaving the W-2 or mm -hmm. the, yeah. Yeah. So 
so yeah, we, you know, like a lot of people, we started off with a single family home and then quickly you realize that just the economies of scale of more multifamily, uh, more apartments, um, you know, that, that just made a lot more sense. And then, but then as that kind of developed, you know, we were self-managing, um, and then we started getting into more models of more passively investing through, you know, other real estate groups and syndications and joint ventures, things like that. And that freed up more time for us to focus, you know, especially as we've built our company, our consulting company. And, uh, I guess we haven't even, uh, mentioned, uh, you know, farm raised capital yet, but that's uh, kind of what I call a sister company to that, where um, we're trying to help other individuals like us, uh, especially in the ag community, as you're passionate about too, is to maybe create their own passive cash flow in using proven uh, recession-proof commercial real estate to do that. And then uh, whether that's freeing them up to support the family farm, uh, off-farm income, or leaving a job so they can focus on the farm or like we did uh, the other thing we've done is we've self-directed every dollar from our prior 401ks into real estate mm -hmm. and uh, so that's just what our passion is and what we know and uh, i think uh, with what's happened with the stock stock market here this year i think a lot of people might take an interest in that if they know they could do that yeah exactly the volatility definitely kills compounded returns yeah I love the strategy that you moved your 401k money into commercial real estate. Can you walk us through what that transition looked like and how exactly you went about doing that? You bet. So we, um, you know, we have joined a couple of real estate groups of like-minded people, you know, call it peers, mm -hmm. you know, just like you and that uh, are interested in this. And, uh, and I, if there's one thing I could look back and wish we did from the very beginning was do that instead of trying to go on going at it alone is joining a group of like-minded people. And, uh, but you know, there's a certain amount of trust already, but you know, so through the uh, network that we've developed, developed through that, we had a number of different opportunities to, I guess, vet and, and look at and uh, just a different underwriting and everything. And, and we pulled the trigger on, six or seven different opportunities, primarily through the Sunbelt states of Texas, um, Florida, Georgia, and, um, you know, basically just towns that have uh, good population trends, job growth, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, and a lot of these uh, commercial properties are purchased very strategically with a business plan to basically force appreciation, whether rents are below the market or, coming in and putting in better management in place. And a lot of them have a three to five year strategy to basically double your money, you know, sometimes even more than that. And uh, when I just looked at that, you know, an average rate of return of 15 to 20% versus farmland at two to 3% or the stock market at five to 7%, to me, it's just like, it was kind of a no brainer for me. And, uh, and yeah. I enjoy it and I enjoy it. And I, I understand it more versus the stock market. So. Yeah, exactly. I love same as you. I love real estate because it is a fairly simple business model. It's easy to get your head around. Um, so definitely agree. So back to the 401k, just so we don't run over that one before we fully talk through it. So did you have money in the 401k and then you moved it into a self-directed IRA and then you moved that 
portion into limited partner interests in those deals in the Sunbelt states that you were mentioning? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I skipped over that and you get it on that. No, yeah, we basically rolled it over to a, a self-directed IRA. Uh, there's a number of different custodians out there that you you know people can work with to do that. And uh, you know, for those that are listening, even if you are to W two, um, I've talked with people that even their current employer allows them to roll over a certain percentage of their 401k and self-direct it, um, de- depending on what your retirement plan you know allows. But so I've talked to some individuals that like the idea of taking 30% out of their 401k and just self-directing it just to kind of create another, you know, pot, if you will, um, just yeah. to diversify their investment. So, uh, so yeah, that's what we did. We rolled it over to, so we had the power to self-direct it. And, uh, there's a number of alternative assets you can self-direct in, in addition to real estate from private notes, um, to precious metals, you know, a number of different things that you can look at to uh, self-direct in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of different opportunities to place that capital in private equity across, which is a whole new world to me. Um, after you know a couple of years in, into this thing, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's a nice, nice world that you can actually have visibility to, which is a lot more visibility than I'm getting in my 401k plans across 13 countries and. 16 different index funds that I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, so yeah, no, that's something, uh, yeah, I would encourage folks to take a look at and, uh, yeah, we're, we, uh, we decided to go all in on it and, uh, but you know, it may not be the, you know, the right fit for everybody, but certainly, uh, having a mix of real estate into your, you know, and this isn't, uh, you know, farmland I'm talking about, which you can also self-direct IRA money into, by the way, I've worked with some retired farmers that have done that. But um, for us, we've chosen more cash flowing, these commercial real estate models that, uh, you know, like I say, when you really compare our internal rate of return, they might be 15 to 20 percent over time versus what whatever you think you might be able to get with the stock market. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, Mike. And that's even not including depreciation and other expense write-offs like those, which is pretty, pretty interesting and very favorable when you think about it from a different lens. Um, back to the opportunities that, so you moved 401k into your SD IRA and then into limited partner interests. How did you get over the mental hurdle of investing out of your back door or out of your, you know, backyard out of Iowa, you know, and into Texas or Georgia? Like, what what was that like? Um, you know what, uh, you know, kind of going back to the uh, some of our network and our peer group, just those, uh, you know, relationships that we made, and uh, and I compared to even. Uh, what we're doing at farm raised capital is we're not so work uh, focused on finding the deals or doing the management ourselves, but partnering up with real estate operators out there that, that do that. That's what they do every day. And basically leveraging their system that's already in place and, and, you know, offering a group of people that can partner together, like-minded and uh, invest in those types of deals that otherwise probably wouldn't be possible that a lot of people think that will only, really high net worth people can invest in those really large 
multifamily properties in Houston or Dallas or Tampa, Florida, wherever it may be. But, you know, that's where this whole limited partner model that we're doing, you know, works, benefits everyone. It's a win-win. Everybody can benefit economies of scale, that business model to maybe potentially allow people to uh, walk away in three to five years with kind of a 2x type of uh, return. Mm-hmm. And from the limited partner standpoint as well, your I love the model because your liability is also very secure. Like you, you are only at risk, your capital is only at risk for the money that you put up. But then again, we are, we are both in favor of operating or partnering with the operators who yeah do this every day. So they are the experts. Whereas like if you or I were to go out and remodel 120 unit apartment building, I don't think that would pan out very well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I probably, uh, I probably slid over that too. That I mean, that's kind of what originally led us to this group that we're involved with is that we were tired of going it alone and, and dealing with the management issues and just, you know, partnering up with others and taking some of the pressure off our shoulders of doing that. And um, so that's what we really like and uh, about that whole model. So mm-hmm. When you were looking at those deals outside of your state, what are some of the biggest risks that you were looking at? And if you were an, an LP thinking about doing this strategy, what would you advise others on the show or the listeners to to maybe take another look at when they're looking at these deals? Sure. Yeah. You know, obviously, uh, you got to trust who you're working with. Um, you know, and there's risk in everything. There's risks in mm-hmm. investing in LPs and uh, an apartment complex in a, a different state, obviously. But really, when you look at that asset class compared to other classes of real estate, it is the most proven and conservative, and I would even argue recession-proof. So, in a certain extent, we feel that we have probably put ourselves in more of a better risk-reward scenario. By doing that versus having all our eggs in one basket here in Iowa that we're self-managing. So, uh, you know, sprinkling those across different states and in strong markets to us, we feel like we better position our retirement funds in the personal funds that we've invested. And now we're trying to, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully offer a guide to others if they want to as well, you know, through, through our farm raised capital. So, but yeah, that's uh, obviously looking at the underwriting, um, all of the ones that we chose to invest in were very conservative underwriting and, uh, you know, stress tested and everything. And so we kind of know the worst case scenario and a best case scenario and kind of what that range looks like. Mm-hmm. So when you say conservative underwriting, Mike, what exactly do you mean when you say that? Yeah. So, um, you know, everybody, you know, looks at different underwriting um, components, you know, so, Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the rent growth, you know, uh, what that might look like, you know, that uh, a lot of those were done very conservatively. But uh, right now, I think all of our the six or seven that we've invested in are outperforming because those underwriting was done very conservatively. So the mm-hmm. current rents are scaling up faster than projected, um, you know, so that's that's one component. Um you know, a lot of these projects have some type of a, you know, capital improvements. Maybe it's a class B or C property that they're trying to improve and make 
you know, improve the quality. And uh, some of those renovation projects can go ahead of schedule. So that's another part of the underwriting, as you know. Um, I'm just trying to think of what else, you know, certainly, uh, you know, refilling units and, you know, and, and the nice thing again about multifamily that I like is every time you replace a new tenant, that, that's an opportunity to increase the income. And with our current inflationary environment, you know, that that income component is that's where the magic is, because uh, those type of investments, other larger buyers or institutional buyers, that's all they're looking at is the income and you know, what the capitalization rate might be. And when you compare that to office buildings or farmland or things like that, um, it's a little harder to keep that in, in income in relation to what's happening with inflation in the, in the economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit more difficult to forecast. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And the other thing, I guess what we really like is uh, even though uh, there's a lot of concerns right now with recession, but with just everything going on at the supply chain, you know, you've probably read the articles too, where, you know, less people are buying or yeah, buying or building homes, you know, more people are renting. And some of it's because of the cost to uh, build or having the, the supply available to even build as well as rising interest rates. Um, you know, people are getting more difficult to find financing. And uh, so, you know, again, it's just uh, right now that concept of of renting in these type of markets, you know, we really like that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mike, I, I think it's really smart that you guys have been diversifying your portfolio across those states. You, you get access to top tier operators, you get access to the top markets as far as macroeconomics. So very diverse labor, solid markets for employment. They're coming, people are coming in and they're staying. And big companies are doing the same. So it's it's a really smart move to move where the people are going. And then yeah, from the housing standpoint, fewer fewer people are moving down that path and kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with the recession if it's here if it's not here no one no one's not too sure right now it's kind of choppy waters but we we will find out um if you were mike taking back to your other roles as you know your farming specialist role in the in the transitionary phases how would you propose that farmers and other agricultural professionals look at their business operations and if they were interested in investing in limited partnerships outside of their backyard, what would be some good guidance or maybe metrics um, to hit perhaps that would really make them comfortable in being okay with investing 50, 50 grand as, you know, 50 grand is the usual minimum in the deals that we're doing. So how would they get comfortable in their own operations to do something like that from your perspective? Yeah, good, good question. You know, and I just relate to myself, you know, first of all, it's just, uh, you know, I think a lot of times we're all, we live every day in our kind of our bubble. And, uh, you know, I was raised to go get a job and, you know, the financial advisor I work with, I'd, I'd ask, you know, what should I be setting aside? And always the response was just do as much as you can. And, you know, I, I just got so frustrated with that. And, uh, so that, that's where I just started self-educating and uh, just realizing what, you know, there's a reason why 90% of millionaires, uh, millionaires invest in real estate. 
you know, there, you know, there's, why is that, you know? And so I just really started opening my eyes and, uh, but yeah, for, for the farm community, you know, that's certainly different than farmland, which we all grow up and, you know, I'm guilty of it. Dirt runs through my veins too. And that's, you know, and that's our end goal is to, to buy farmland, you know, by doing this, we're basically leveraging cash flowing commercial real estate to position ourselves to buy farms, which we've been fortunate to be able to do and hope to do more. And that's where, that's just another vehicle I want to be able to communicate to the farm operations I work with as a tool that you might want to consider, you know, cause that I feel like every day as I'm consulting with a family farm operation, the topic of cash or cash flow comes up, you know, unfortunately the days of my grandfather, when he came back and started a farm operation, he was able to do that. And you basically all the income he had was from the farm. He had no off farm income. That wasn't very common back then, but today, unfortunately, that's probably the more of the norm that we have to uh, talk about where is some off farm income going to come to help uh, supplement our operation, whether that's from our spouse or we have a seed business or a crop consulting business. Uh, you know, some young farmers have built livestock farms as another enterprise to introduce cash flow. And, uh, you know, th and those are all great and complement the farm operation in most cases. They all they also all take time. And that's what intrigued me about this model is I can do invest as an LP limited partner very mm -hmm. passively and I can still focus on what I'm passionate about. And that's consulting with farm operations and now farm raised capital, helping others, you know, team up to do the same thing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that mission. And I agree with your sentiment in that it's smarter to, leverage other people's you know expertise and as a limited partner in their deals because then it, it's hands off like you don't have to worry about renovating the units it's also it's not your job to do quarterly reporting managing distributions make sure the depreciation is getting done correctly all of these types of things um that one i mean a lot of farmers that's not their cup of tea they would rather be outside with their family or just working the farm because that's really what they love to do. Um, but yeah, that supplemental income is becoming more and more um, as a necessity. It seems like. Yeah, no, it's just, a, that's just, I, unfortunately, I think the new norm in agriculture. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, whether it's a young farmer looking to get into it, an existing operation, I think this is a, a you know, definitely, a model I think they should be taking a look at even a retiring farmer. Um, you know, uh, most farmers I work with hate paying taxes and uh, that especially comes up uh, for a retiring farmer that now has less crop expenses to offset income. They're not buying machinery anymore. They, they're turned more passively to just renting out their farms that they've been able to purchase over their farming career. Well, as you know, a lot of these limited partnership investments can offer you know, anywhere from 50% upwards of 80% depreciation in the first year. And so I have several retired farmers that have invested alongside us. And, uh, you know, you know, if they've invested $100,000, they might get a $70,000 tax deduction, deduction to offset their other farm rental income. Yep. Mike, it's huge benefit, huge call out and yeah, bonus depreciation, 
bonus appreciation is going away in 2022, but it will still be tapering off 80% the next year, um, which is also something that I think is jacking up the asset prices also because people are trying to offset all of that into new um yeah into new deals but topic for another day um <laughs> mike thanks so much for your story telling us all about your details your investing um it's a great story where can people get a hold of you more and follow you on what you're doing sure yeah so you could uh you know our website is farm raised capital that's the real estate firm my wife and i have founded to uh, basically, as we find opportunities out there, like we've talked about, uh, to offer others to come in and invest along with us if they'd like. And uh, so, yeah, farm raised capital. And uh, I, I do uh, would offer your listeners too. I, uh, when I look back on my journey, um, there was a unique moment. I call it my one aha moment that I had that really really was kind of almost the slap in the face for me. And I've written a piece on that. It's just a simple little uh, downloadable PDF. If you're, if your listeners would like to uh, read that, I've, I've got that on a landing page. It's what's wealth What's wealth mean. And uh, basically uh, there was a time when I really understood, you know, and really thought about what's, what's it really mean to be wealthy versus rich. It was kind of a, again, an interesting story. So they're more than welcome to go uh, check that out. That sounds great, Mike. I will definitely put that in the show notes. Listeners, definitely recommend you check that out and follow Mike doing great things in the space. Heart's coming from the right place as well. He has experience. So give him a, give him a check out. And till next time, thanks for hopping in, giving us a listen. And we'll talk soon. See you, everyone. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.